you're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. My guest today is Corrine Jean-Pierre, the author of the book, Moving Forward, a story of hope, hard work, and the promise of America, a memoir that provides a roadmap for activists who want to get involved in 2020 and how to fight the ups and the downs of politics. Corrine started in politics later in life, but her meteoric rise from the daughter of Haitian immigrants to a political force and MSNBC regular is an inspiring story, a truly American story. Her book is a story of motherhood, of resistance, and really a galvanizing tale about overcoming rejection and finding your inner motivations. But before we begin, I'd like to ask you to take a minute to visit meetthecandidates2020.com and check out my book series about four of the top Democratic candidates for the 2020 nomination. We recorded this interview with Corrine Jean-Pierre late last year, but it's every bit as relevant today as it was then, if not more relevant in this critical election year. Take a listen. I'm here with Corrine Jean-Pierre, who is a senior advisor and national spokesperson for MoveOn.org. Corrine is also an Obama alum and political campaign organizer and activist and a political commentator who you've probably seen on MSNBC. She's got a new book out called Moving Forward, A Story of Hope, Hard Work, and the Promise of America. Corrine, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. This is my first time being on your show, so I'm, I'm psyched to talk, talk about my book. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to come on today. And obviously, your, your new book is an autobiographical memoir. Uh, can, you, can you start by giving us a little taste of what's inside the book and sharing a story with our listeners about maybe what propelled you to dive into the world of politics in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is part memoir and part a call to action and a memoir basically telling my life story. Clearly, that's what a memoir is. But my story is unique. But also, like many others, I am an immigrant. My parents are immigrant. I grew up in New York and my parents were born in Haiti. But my story is basically how I came to this country and had ups and downs, tried to fit in in America like many, many others, and what my trials and tribulations and how I overcame those things. And the other part is how I got into politics, kind of laying out a blueprint of how I got into politics. And also the call to action is really encouraging people to get involved as as 2020 gets closer and closer and the importance of being politically engaged and not sitting on the sidelines and how we can't afford to do that. A story that I like to tell is, you know, I got into politics really late in life. And what I mean about that is most people, they know by the time that they're 18, 19 or in college running for some sort of of political club. And I'm not that person. You know, I came into politics when I was in my mid-20s. I was in grad school and I never thought I would go to politics. I mentioned that my parents were from Haiti and they grew up in a dictatorship. So politics for them, to them was corruption and they thought it was really dangerous. So when I told them that I was going to do that, they were they were not excited about it. I grew up being told I was going to be either a, a lawyer, a doctor, or an engineer because that's how my parents saw success. That's how they believe you can get in, get the American dream. And so I, for me, it was going to be a doctor. Oh, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor. And then when that didn't work out, I had to find myself. I had to figure out who I was. And I had really great mentors. Uh, at Columbia University, which is where uh, David N. Dinkins, who's a former 
mayor of New York City, first African-American mayor. I had a Professor Esther Fuchs was uh, at the time when I was starting grad school, she was uh, in a senior advisor for Michael Bloomberg. And they, with others, be, were became mentors of mine. And I also had this really important transformational trip to Haiti. I had never been to Haiti before. I went for the first time and that kind of, that changed my my outlook and what I wanted to do for others and for for the community and how I really wanted to be part of making change via policy and legislation. Right. And uh, so in regards to the book, what was the driving factor in wanting to write this book in particular now? Many, many facts. I think in in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to write a book because, like I said, I had trials and tribulations. I had ups and downs in my life. And I always thought, man, if I could tell my story and help someone out, help one person, it would make their life so much better. Because when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of representation. There wasn't a lot of people like me, you know, black women who were either on TV or who were in politics. There were just not many of us. And so I, I thought, man, I wish I could could help anybody who uh, who was looking for that, who was hungering to have to see some representation. So that's one reason I wrote the book. And then in the past almost three years, this anti-immigrant sentiment that we've been hearing from the White House, from the President of the United States, has been so daunting and so ugly. He even went after uh, Haiti and saying, uh, along with African nations, that Haiti and African nations and were as whole countries. And so, or people from there were from unsettled countries, and he only wanted people from Norway. And what he did at the border, separating kids from their families, and the way uh, treated people were treated at the southern border. I mean, all of these things made me want to write a book about what it means and what it's like to be an immigrant in this country, because immigrants really want to be part of the fabric of America. You know, they come here for the American dream, the elusive American dream for many of them. They say some of them have been here for decades, like my parents. And still live check to check, so that's another part of it. Another, uh, another layer is I have a five-year-old, and I wanted my daughter to know that when she gets old enough to get a sense or ask, "Hey, what were what were you doing, Mama, during during the time of Donald Trump's administration?" I want her to be able to to see I was part of this resistance. I fought. I used my voice to make a difference, and so that's all of it. All of it just really laid heavy on me and that's why i wanted to write a book no and i saw you on the front lines i think it was first when we met in december 2016 it must have been outside the makeup room or something at msnbc in dc um Mm -hmm. and that was the 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 front lines of the the russia (laughs) stuff where we we were questioning did russia even attack the united states like uh, so it's it's come a long way since since that moment but in, in your book if there's one key theme or idea that you want people to take away after reading it what is it yeah so it's basically um my dedication to the book, I thought about it. You know, when you usually dedicate your book, it's a big deal, right? It's a big, big thing that you do. And I thought I would dedicate it to the women in my life and give my thanks to them. And then I thought about it. I had actually written it to be that way. And then I thought about it and I said, no, you know what? I want to dedicate this book to everyone who's been told no, everyone who's been rejected, anyone who said, you know, you're not gonna make it in life because of X, Y, and Z this book is for you. And I hope this book inspires you and motivates you. And that I think 
encompasses the entire book. It tells my story, yes. It tells the ups and downs, yes. It talks about how I got to the Obama White House. It talks about the immigrant story. But it also talks about, um, and also, like I said, encouraging people to get involved and how the moment is now to when we're looking at 2020. But it also talks about how when you're knocked down, you can get back up. You know, there is a way to get out of where you are in life. You know, if you feel really, really in a dark place or you feel like things are not going your way, you can get to the other side of that. And so that's it. That's what I want my book to do. I, if it changes one, one person's life or touches one person's life, I think the book would have been a success to me. Find out more about Meet the Candidates 2020, my new book series of voter guides authored by Dworkin Report producer Grant Stern. It's the only place you can read my opinion and a factual portrait of each major Democratic candidate in one place. Buy the book now at the link inside this episode's notes at grantstern.com or your local Barnes & Noble. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. I I was so proud to know you when this happened. Uh, In in early June, you made national headlines. Uh, A male protester jumped on stage at the Big Ideas conference by Move On, uh, uh, and the man attempted to confront Senator Harris, who is a major candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination. Uh, You stopped him, stood in between. Uh, What was going through your mind when he rushed the stage? You know, there wasn't any fear for for my life when I stepped in. It was basically fear of him hurting her because I thought to myself, here is a black woman who's sitting to my left. We're, we're on stage. There's three women of color on stage. We're having a conversation. Uh, we are living in a country that's incredibly divided and the rhetoric uh, is, is incredibly ugly. And I thought, wow, this person, this man that's jumped onto the stage could hurt her. And I just went into protective mode. I can't really explain it. It was, I saw it, I thought it was bad, I stepped in, and I protected her. And it wasn't until afterwards that people were like, wow, that was crazy and dangerous. What were you thinking? That I actually processed it and thought about it a little bit more. Um, and uh, it was just my instinct. And I have to tell you, Scott, I've talked about this before in other interviews. The thing that really got me is what that moment meant for women or women in co- of color, black women, women, and just women, that this man in all of his privilege stepped on stage while women were speaking. It triggered many women because they feel that they've, they, they feel that almost every day in their lives. And the responses that I got from women after that was pretty amazing. Just started a whole different conversation. Yeah, it was a natural campaigner that I saw come out because I used to be a body man for people say that people say that yeah people yeah. say oh that you were you're you're a political aide clearly a political staffer right <laughs> yeah. right like yeah. standing in between anybody I'm sure you, you've experienced the Obama part of things where people are handing business cards everywhere and you're trying to collect yeah. everything I mean and different elected officials that I've traveled with and had to body over time and fundraise for. Um, it's just, it's something that, that's innate. I think it really just describes your character in a nutshell. And I, when the push comes to shove, you, you show up and it just was natural. Yes, it was 
dangerous, but that's not you thinking about yourself. And I think that's just defines you. I remember shortly after a text or something and you'd mentioned that you had, well, there wasn't any fear. And, and I think that's one of the things is we don't think about some of the things that we're doing while we're doing them. And then we look back and we're like, wow, that was a little bit, <laughs> that was a little bit crazy. I, I guess I wasn't, you know, heat of the moment or whatnot, but I was, I was really proud to know you at, at that moment. And I think that. Oh, you, thank you. Appreciate that. As a thank white, you. white male of privilege, uh, who's grown up that way in, in places like that. I, it was, it was disgusting to see someone try and take the stage like that, but it, it was an amazing moment to, in time and, I'll never forget that. Uh, here's a two-part question for you. What are your thoughts about the House's impeachment inquiry into Trump? And in part two, do you think Dems will ever peel away Republicans like the Lindsey Grahams of the world who refuse to even read the evidentiary transcripts when they're unfavorable to their guy in the Oval Office? Yeah, I think Lindsey Graham might be far gone. I don't know if we. I don't. I don't know if he'll if he'll uh, come back from whatever. Um, whatever dark, dark, deep sunken place that he's in right now. Um, I'll say this. Look, I think the Democrats are doing a, a fantastic job on the impeachment inquiry. And what I mean by that is they, they turned it into a fair process. They've been completely transparent. Uh, they have not made it political, even though impeachment is a, is, is a form of, right, of, of a political act. Um, and now that we're going to have the public hearings, it's going to be um, interesting to see the public opinion, because right now where the public opinion is before impeachment is historic, how quickly it's moved, where we are currently with public opinion on impeachment, being that people are, are good with impeachment inquiry. You have almost 50 percent of people who are saying they want to see the president impeached and removed. I mean, that is something that uh, that who would have thought six months ago we would be even in an impeachment hundred less than 100 days away from Iowa caucus, 2020 right around the corner. And so that's why I feel hopeful. I don't think we are going to, we probably will not impeach and remove the president, but I do think it may, there may be some bipartisanship down the, down the line. And I think they have to do their constitutional duty, meaning um, uh, Democrats in the House, they have to continue, move forward, keep it a fair process, keep it transparent. Having the public hearings will, I, I think, make a difference, as I just stated. And we cannot have a president who believes he is above the law. This is, this is not uh, what, uh, what the Constitution says. Uh, this is not what our democracy says. And let's not forget, this is a president who asked for help from a foreign government to interfere in our elections. You know, this is a free and fair elections. I mean, that is the cornerstone of our democracy. And without that, what do we have? You know, Nancy Pelosi always quoting that line, do we have a democracy or a monarchy? You know, what are we? And that's a real question that we have to ask in this moment. And so I think Democrats need to keep doing what they're doing. The public, the public opinion is on their side. And I think Republicans are, is on the wrong side of history. This morning, Trump goes out and he, he says that they should not have public impeachment hearings. He's fully against it. Why do you think he did that? Because he knows. He's a, um, he is a TV reality personality. He knows. He knows what it means to produce and the visual of diplomat after diplomat after diplomat coming before the country, putting their hands up 
and, uh, you know, reading the oath or swearing in and saying, you know, they are going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, right? And he knows as someone who likes to produce the news himself and produce what's out there in the media every day, he knows what that's going to look like. And people are going to be glued to the television. They're going to want to hear what these folks are saying. Um, And for someone who's in that business of entertainment, he knows what that is going to do to him. Where if public opinion is so has moved historically so quickly and is at the level that it is without public hearings, I mean, we're, we're, we're at, the numbers are where they're at without people really seeing anything, without, with just, you know, kind of a little bit of knowledge of what people have said. Now the transcripts are being released, so we have a better sense of what people have said or saying um, in these hearings. What will happen when it's public, when you see the actual human beings sitting there recounting their story, telling their truth? That is going to be great TV as he likes to see it, right? It's going to be wonderful TV. The ratings are going to be high as he would think it to be. And so that's why he's he's scared. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. And how do you think this all ends for Trump? I think he'll be impeached by the House. We'll see what Mitch McConnell does in the Senate. I'm not quite sure because he is the Grim Reaper, as we all know. I think he's called himself that. Right. Um, And so I'm not quite sure because I don't know. I feel like he has a trick up his sleeve and I'm not sure what it is. Um. So that is, he will have that asterisk next to his name as a president that's been impeached. I think that will be for sure. And I think Americans, people who care about the future of this country, voters, uh, people who have to make a real choice less than a year from now or where they see this country going, the future of this country, have to make a real choice in 2020. And how are they going to vote? Where will they land on this? This is it. If we have another year, another four years of Donald Trump, if you are not white, male and rich, I don't know how we're going to survive in this country with the, with a president, Donald Trump. So we have to make a decision and that's going to be his future right there. The book is Moving Forward, a story of hope, hard work and the promise of America. Akreen, where can people follow you on Twitter? Oh, good. This is fun. <laughs> Mr. Twitter King. <laughs> God, I love you on Twitter. You're awesome. Um, K underscore Jean-Pierre uh, and also K underscore Jean-Pierre on Instagram. Please follow me and uh, love to talk to people. And uh, thank you for listening. I hope you buy the book. It's a great book. I think it will change your life or at least motivate you. The link to the book is in the episode notes, as well as uh, the handles for following Kareen. So we'll make sure to spread that out and also different links. You can buy it wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and local booksellers as well. Kareen, thank you so much for your patriotism. Thank you for all the work you're doing for this country. And, and thank you for taking the time with me today. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate this moment with you. I'd like to thank Kareen Jean-Pierre. Make sure to check out her book, 
Moving Forward, A Story of Hope, Hard Work, and the Promise of America. I'd like to thank my producer, Grant Stern. You can visit our website at workandreport.com. You can check out our Meet the Candidates series at meetthecandidates2020.com. And you can visit our Patreon page to become a subscriber at patreon.com slash report. Thanks again for listening. 